KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, October 25th. Managing those managing COVID-19 relief funds. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Public transit in San Diego County will soon be free to youth 18 and under. Supporters say the cost of transit passes for youth is a heavy burden on low-income families, and making them free will help create a new generation of transit riders who can move around more sustainably. County Supervisor Nora Vargas says equally important is a plan to increase bus frequency on nights and weekends for routes that serve low-income communities. Not only are we investing in our youth, But we're going to be investing in transit services that are desperately needed in our communities. I want to thank all of the community members, organizations, again, transportation justice advocates that have worked tirelessly to bring this action forward. The Free Youth Transit Pilot Program launches in the spring and will last one year. The pandemic caused Amtrak ridership to and from San Diego to drop to almost nothing. Now the rail service is restructuring their San Diego train service. Miro Kopik is a business analyst for KPBS. He says this restructuring will inspire passengers to use the train system more often. Amtrak is looking to link its service with other transportation options to make it easier for passengers. They're also expanding the number of round trips to Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. The unemployment rate in San Diego is now at 5.5 percent. That's revised from 6.6 percent in August. It's well below the rate this time last year when it was at 9.6 percent. That's according to figures released on Friday by the State Employment Development Department. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. A new audit of the state board tasked with managing some of the federal COVID-19 relief funds allocated to California finds that the agency's work has been marred with delays and not enough monitoring. CAP Radio's Steve Milney reports. This new report from State Auditor Elaine Howe is a rebuke of the work being done by California's Board of State and Community Corrections. The agency is responsible for overseeing California's use of its $59 million in federal coronavirus emergency supplemental funding, or CESF. The money is supposed to help counties and other local agencies mitigate the effects of the pandemic by paying for overtime, personal protective equipment, and training. 
House report finds the board unnecessarily delayed providing these funds to counties. It was aware in May 2020 it would get the $59 million, but didn't start developing its grant solicitation until September 2020. And House says the board may have unfairly allocated $22 million, or 40 percent of the CESF, to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation by not first verifying the amount the department actually needed. House says unless the board comes up with a plan to better oversee the money, counties may miss federal spending deadlines and California would have to return up to $43 million in unspent funds to the federal government. And that was CAP Radio's Steve Milney. Another new state audit finds California's Board of State and Community Corrections mismanaged nearly $60 million in federal COVID-19 relief funds. KQED's Katie Orr reports. The report from State Auditor Elaine Howell finds the board improperly awarded more than $20 million to the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation and failed to make grants available to cities and tribes. The board made the application process so cumbersome, Howell says, nearly half of eligible counties did not apply. It also failed to conduct oversight of the funds it did award or inform the federal government how money was being spent. The mismanagement puts the state at risk of having to return unspent or misused funds to the federal government. Board members say they take the audit's findings seriously, but disagree with the recommendation to revise grant procedures. And that was KQED's Katie Orr. Last week, community colleges across the state conducted an undocumented student week of action that included discussion forums and films in support of DACA students and others who get financial aid from the California Dreamer Act. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez introduces us to one of them. More than 450 undocumented students attend San Diego's Mesa College. Giovanni Sanchez Aguilar is one of them. He has renewable status in the federal program Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, better known as DACA. But he's left waiting on the U.S. Congress to determine his fate. A lot of people are afraid. Um, I am not. I'm, I'm honestly tired of being scared. I'm tired of being hidden, tired of... Um, hiding who I am and what I am. Giovanni was brought by his parents from Mexico to the U.S. as a toddler. His two younger brothers were born here and are citizens. While his parents work on their own legal status, he is sharing his story in hopes other undocumented students will speak out too. And that was KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. The Bay Conservation and Development Commission adopted a San Francisco Bay area-wide plan for adapting to sea level rise last week. KQED's Ezra David Romero reports. State regulators who oversee the Bay's shoreline worked for two years to come up with a plan. Scientists project the bay could rise by several feet by the end of the century, a result of warming temperatures. The agency will be the backbone in convincing 101 cities, 9 counties, and a dizzying array of groups to coordinate their levees and natural protections. Jessica Fain is BCDC's planning director. It's a scary place in a way because there's no one doing it before us, Um, and I think a lot of eyes are on the Bay Area to, to, to look at us as a model. What the plan doesn't do is give regulators the power to force developers, cities, or agencies to plan for rising tides. Instead, it empowers local working groups to find funding and build consensus. 
And that was KQED's Ezra David Romero. Coming up in Riverside, the descendant of one of California's earliest settlers remembers visiting her grandmother's home. Um, And it seems so huge to me, you know, and I used to sit in that window, in the windowsill, and read my books. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. The descendants of some of Southern California's earliest pioneers are trying to save their ancestors' crumbling home. KVCR's Megan Jamerson has this report from east of Los Angeles in the Inland Empire, where a farming town was built when California was still part of Mexico. On an industrial street in the city of Riverside, delivery trucks rumble past a small wooden building. The Trujillo Adobe, built over 150 years ago in 1862. But that's not how Nancy Melendez first knew it. It was just grandma's house. Melendez is a descendant of the man that built the adobe, Lorenzo Trujillo. As we enter the wooden structure that protects it, she shares the home stayed in her family until 1957, when her great-grandmother decided it was time to live somewhere with indoor plumbing. I would come and spend the night with grandma, and, and it was a beautiful place. Um, And it seems so huge to me, you know, and I used to sit in that window, in the windowsill, and read my books. She's pointing to what's left of her great-grandmother's home, which is only three adobe walls held up by supports. The county of Riverside bought the property in 1977 with the intention of creating a local historic park. But then there were budget cuts and bad weather. The roof collapsed, followed by the fourth mud brick wall. It was the Murphy's Law. If anything could go wrong... It did. Melendez and her cousins are behind a grassroots effort started around a decade ago to save the adobe and revive park plants. They also created the Spanish Town Heritage Foundation to raise awareness of this part of California's history. It's the history of Riverside, and I like to call it Riverside's prehistory. Um, but there was this community that was here, and these people, our people, that are still here. The story starts in the 1800s when Trujillo was born in New Mexico, a Genesaro a Native American raised in a Spanish household, most likely not by choice. As an adult, he led 10 local families over 1,200 miles to accept a promise of owning the land Melendez is standing on now. Quickly, the area became the largest non-Native Hispanic settlement between Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Los Angeles, along an old Spanish trade route. And the adobe is all that remains. And so we said, well, how can we get this story out because no one knows. This work has the support of Riverside County's Parks Department, which is renewing its commitment to raising awareness to the many ways minority communities have shaped the region, says County Historic Preservation Officer Tony Perucci. He says the adobe recognizes early settler history, but also... It can tell the story of that north side neighborhood, which was largely Hispanic, you know, actually throughout the 20th century. Um, 
And we don't have historic resources that are able to tell that narrative. The biggest challenge has been finding the millions of dollars it will take. During Perugi's three years in the role, he's worked closely with Nancy Melendez and the Spanish Town Heritage Foundation as they seek out private donations and make the case for state and federal funding. The adobe is now written into the county's development plans, and this year it was named one of America's 11 most endangered historic places, says Perugi. This is very much you know, the adobe's time to shine. For Melendez and her cousins, they will continue the work of sharing the story to anyone willing to listen, including local third graders. They do school presentations on the adobe where they share the names of the settlement's first families, like the Peñas, Trujillos, Bacas, and Espinosas, says Melendez. The little eyes light up, the little hands shoot up and say, that's my name! That's my cousin's name. That's my aunt's name. The local park would ensure generations can engage with this history and learn their place in it, says Melendez. And it is empowering because we have been made to feel that um, we don't belong. And we do. And that's important. It's, It's just, we need to knock down barriers that prevent us from communicating with one another and understanding one another. Because knowing our history, or where we come from, says Melendez, is the only way to know where we are headed. And that report from KVCR's Megan Jamerson. That's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio, or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.